you. Right, so the thing is, when I was researching how to do a podcast, I, one of the problems that I have is, you know, you get paralyzed by, you know, analysis paralysis. You're just too busy reading and reviewing and researching, and then you just don't do anything. And I didn't realize how complicated podcasts were, you know, because I was listening to Joe Rogan and that was it. And I was like, ah, this is great. Then I started researching. I was like, oh, are you doing a monologue? Are you having conversations? Are you having two guests, three guests? Are you, I mean, what, what kind of thing is it? And I was like, whoa, this is freaking complicated. Is it short format, long format, half an hour, an hour, longer? And I was like, what, what? I didn't even know there were all these options. And then I thought, hold on, just stop all this. Who's got the most successful podcast on the planet? Joe Rogan. What does he do? He has guests in. He chats to them. And that's it. And I was like, that's what I do. <laughs> so that's where we are. And, um, you know, I wanted you on because I'm really interested in geopolitics, my friend. And you run. Well, you know. Um, yeah. <laughs> mm -hmm. And you run a podcast on geopolitics. <laughs> Yeah, I've been doing it for, um, I guess we can say over a decade now, uh, in, in, in some way. And so I basically started it because I was teaching at the top globalist university here in Mexico, and I couldn't find anyone to talk to about these things, even academics, they just, you know, they clock in, they clock out, they're not interested really in the topics, like, I, I, I want to know. And so I just started Skyping in experts into my classes. Imagine, you know, and I'm, what really wow. pissed me off was some of the students, they're studying international relations. And I think we, could, we all understand how the situation is today with students. They're on their phones. They're not paying attention. They don't really care. But I'm thinking, you know, when I studied international relations in Geneva, I was like hardcore. I just was soaking it in. I was talking to my professors um, outside of the classroom. Some of them, you know, were Saddam's defense lawyer, uh, oh, wow. UN special reporter. These, you know, these are some of my professors. And when I was teaching, it's like I Skype in John Perkins, the economic hitman, or Ray McGovern, former CIA officer whose job was to uh, daily brief the U.S. president. Wow. You know? And I, so I, Skype, I started Skyping them in, and, and that's sort of how my podcast came to be. Wow. And, and I didn't know this, but students kids are on their phones just like not listening seriously that's why i'm happy I, I i don't have to i don't have to teach uh right now if i can avoid it i wouldn't go back to education or academia i just keep doing what i'm doing podcasting and and, and radio but i had a guest on my tnt show last night keith preston who was a professor and i asked him how is it these days and he's like it's getting worse and worse you know <laughs> and so they're on their phones they're not paying attention it's just and any of this is you know, you undergraduate, so dude, I'm I'm telling you right now, it's our generation that's the last hope for humanity. I mean, I, I'm taking it your generation X. You're somewhere I mean, yeah, between born, I was born in the eighties, so yeah. You're somewhere yeah. between forty early eighties. And are you somewhere between forty and sixty years of age? Yeah. 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 There you go. See? You're you're the you and I are the last hope for humanity. How bad is that? That's as bad as it gets. I mean, nowadays the young kids, I I despair. <laughs> so I was at a school pickup and um one of my kids parents um the dad, I was like, "How are things?" He went, "Really good. Oh, man, I'm so busy." I went, "That's great." He went, "No, I can't find the staff." I went, "But there's so many people unemployed." He went, "Yeah, but these kids come along and they're meant to be doing the work, and all they're doing is they're on their phone." And I'm like, hold on, at work? He goes, yeah, 
I'm telling the kids, get off your phones. Like they're my kids. I'm having to tell them off. They're at the workplace. And he goes, it's even worse than that. They expect to be getting the salary that I'm getting at their age while they're on their phone doing fuck all. And I'm like, <laughs> like, this is bad. It's, you know, I mean, these devices, there have been uh, experts explain how uh, it really alters your brain, uh, like uh, biologically, physiologically, physiologically, it alters your brain because, you know, you used to watch movies where the scenes, you know, one scene would go on for like 30 seconds, a minute, two minutes, you know, uh, I was talking with a friend recently about uh, the, the old Russian film, uh, I think it's Tarkovsky, the stalker movie, which was really slow moving, you know. And now they change the frames, whether it's the, yeah. the, the movies or social media, it's every three seconds, you're changing the frame. And I think yeah. that does something to your brain. So you can't hold attention anymore. Or, or it's the opposite that these kids, you know, they need that rapid fire because otherwise they get bored. They've got this attention deficit thing. They just can't hold a thought. You have to keep stimulating them. And you're right. There's been a few movies that they're just full on and i walk out that cinema room like exhausted like what the fuck was that and recently you know i i won't lie i do watch a little bit of tv like i mean it's like in 20 minute burst every evening but we were trying to find something on tv to watch and we just couldn't find anything because all oh, rapid fire and this and that and then we found this beautiful movie and a series called the english with emily blunt and it's a Western, it's talking about the Native Americans, how bad they were treated, but it's beautiful landscapes, it's slow moving, it's, it's got amazing dialogue. And I was like, okay, I'm happy now. But you're right, it's all rapid fire. You know, this is the problem that we're facing. Yeah, oh. I generally don't watch stuff anymore for, for, for many reasons for that, because like, it's unwatchable because of the, you know, the, 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 what it does to your brain, but also because of the propaganda. You know, I've had guests on my podcast talk about you know, the, the, the Hollywood and military industrial complex. So many movies and TVs today are, you know, the, the, the scripts and the, pro it's, it's just propaganda, basically. It's not entertainment anymore. And so it's no. just the, the CIA, the Pentagon, the globalists are there writing the scripts and, 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 and the programming. And it's just, uh, yeah. <laughs> no, hundred percent. I agree. It is. And I can see through it and I just switch off and go, this is garbage. And it's not, it's the, it's not just even propaganda. It's indoctrination. You know, they're, they're, changing how you think and believe and and your values everything it's just garbage 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 but it's funny when you say about teaching i used to love teaching and, you know as a junior doctor i used to love teaching the young medical students and the doctors and then something happened in the 2010s onwards i started to hate it because instead of people coming and wanting to learn and respect me for having some knowledge and they were trying to glean whatever they could from me. They came to me now very entitled, very just expecting me to just impart everything in one go, like, it, you know, and they didn't have to work for it. So I'll give an example, you know, going back to 1998, when I was a junior doctor, you know, going to theater, I would have to go and bleed all the patients in the ward, do all their blood tests, write up their drug prescriptions. I would have to see the patients before the surgery, mark their leg, do their consent form. I would have to read up their story, their history, examine them, read up their anatomy, go to theater, hold a leg for two hours, and then 
if I was lucky, after three months, I would say, can I close the wound? And the, the, I remember the first time the, the consultant surgeon said to me, what suture are you going to use? Monofilament, braided, natural, synthetic. What are you going to do? And I told him I went ethylon and 2.0 and what kind of cutting needle? Is it going to be reverse diamond, pointed, round body, tapered? And I was like, uh, don't know. And I, you know, I'd done the anatomy, I'd examined them. They, they asked me for everything. And when I couldn't do the answer, the final question went, nah, when you get that answer right, then you can come back next week and do it. <laughs> you know, so this is the kind of, these are the hoops you had to jump through. And so when you did get to operate and you, you knew you earned it and it was a privilege and it was fantastic. I kid you not, by the end, when I left the state system, I would have junior doctors come up to me and go, hi, Mr. Malik, I'm blah, blah, blah. And I'd be like, oh, who are you? I'm a new doctor. I've just started today. I was like, oh, okay. Um, can I do this operation? Oh, um, have you done this operation before? No. Have you seen this operation before? No. Have you asked the patient if you could do the operation? No. Did you consent them or examine them? No. Do you know anything about their history? No. Do you know anything about the actual operation itself? No. I was like, and you want to do the operation? Yeah, you're going to show me. That's how far the pendulum has swung. Isn't that madness? <laughs> yeah, I, I, I totally agree because they're, they have this attitude. Again, they're entitled to think they know everything and then they're willing to try but they don't deal with the consequences. Like if something goes wrong, they're like, oh, okay, whatever, you know? And so, <laughs> uh, and, and, you know, going back to my, my, uh, my, my field, like international relations, it's the, it's the same. Like they think they know more than you. They don't read <laughs> yeah. anything. I I'm reading like a, like a madman. And, um, and then, you know, a lot of what the, the, the narrative official narrative in international relations, it's all lies. It's all false. You know, it's, they're told to read, you know, the academia, it's all controlled. They, they tell you to read Council on Foreign Relations, New York Times, all this garbage. What? That, you know, when, whether it's 9-11 or, or climate change, like in general, right? That's what's all academia er everywhere. You know, even in Mexico, it's just like they look up to Council on Foreign Relations, New York Times, all the, you know, all these official institutions. And uh, when, when you're someone like me who goes in the opposite direction with sources, oh, it's that wacky conspiracy theorist professor or... Um, you know, th th these kids will just read like one article from New York Times from the liberal globalist view and think, oh, they know more than the professor who's read all these books and talked to all these people. It's just like, you know, I, I even Skyped in Lord Christopher Monckton from from UK. This was like 10 years ago. I, they gave me a class environment and international relations. And I, I, I would spend, you know, one session or a week looking at the official climate narrative and then looking at the opposite, you know, and just willing, ready for the students and my coworkers to, hey, you're a conspiracy theorist. And I Skype in Lord Christopher Monckton, and it's still on the internet. He talks for two hours uh, with the class debunking <laughs> climate change. So. Wow. And so you're a true scientist. You're really educating. You're questioning everything. And you're not getting the recognition or thanks. You're trailblazer. You're Skyping guests in, amazing guests all over. Man, I'd pay to come to your lectures. And these kids are like on their phone and going, whatever. How does that make you feel? 
you know, it was a good run while I was teaching. It was fun. I was innovating, right? I, I got to the point where I was even applying gamification, right? I was gamifying the classroom because I love video games as well. And so I created an entire using Google, uh, what do you call it? The Google uh, online stuff um, suite, uh, like a leaderboard, uh, students choose an avatar or a player name. And I created a whole host of um, <laughs> benefits. Like if you, if you did, like if you never, this was amazing. So you, I was able to socially engineer uh, my students, which is what they're trying to do with us now with the social mm. credit system, right? In all nations or around the world. So students would always ask to get, go to the restroom, right? Because I was teaching high school and university and, and both. They, they would just ask to get out of the classroom, right? At least one student every single session. And wow. I would put stuff up where in the, in the gamified classroom, if you never, if you do not go, and I would keep a list. If you don't go to the restroom uh, at all during the semester, uh, you'll get certain X number of points. And it was just amazing to see pretty much everyone stop going to the restroom. <laughs> so I was able to social, socially engineer because then you, they would accumulate points, which they could use to steal my lunch um, to get, get out of a free, get out a hundred percent on a, a quiz, you know, or stuff like this, you know, or, or get 10%, it. uh, b boost, boost on an exam, uh, you know, or skip one homework a semester. And so I was really able to socially, uh, engineer them. And so I was, you know, going hardcore Skyping in, uh, gamifying. It was so much fun. I even had directors tell me, Hey, slow down, you know, the whole crab, uh, crab in the bucket mentality. This was unbelievable because I was just mm. doing so much and the, one of my superiors was like, Hey, you're making the other lazy teachers look bad. Yeah. Just, uh, be, 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 be more, um, mediocre. And I was just like, are you, I couldn't believe it. And I even got my courses taken away from me for like one or two semesters at the university because I was too conspiracy. And the director at the time was just a, you know, full on, um, globalist. And when I say globalist, uh, you know, my former place of employment in Mexico, they they brought Al Gore ten years ago to the campus. Oh to speak. wow! They paid him like two hundred grand. What? Al Gore came and you couldn't ask him you couldn't ask him questions. They were filtered um, questions. And then during COVID, on the because there there um, you had online graduation. There was no physical graduation ceremony. Uh, they had Bill Gates and Hillary Clinton speak uh, at the online graduation ceremony of of where I used to work. The tech team on today. By the way, I just read yesterday. Hillary and Bill Clinton are, are here in Mexico visiting. They were in San Miguel de Allende, which is a few hours from here. And so <laughs> that's pretty, pretty interesting. But anyways, like I, I, I had a good time. I did what I could with the kids. Um, I'm doing what I'm doing now, podcasting and radio, TNT radio. And so I'm happy if I, I would avoid going back to the classroom if I could. <laughs> Yeah, no, no, I get that. I mean, I get that. I mean, I'm still over getting over the 200,000 pounds. To come or dollars to speak a load of garbage that doesn't help. I mean, I would, I would get, I'd be happy, folks. Pay me two thousand, and you'll you'll learn a lot of shit in two hours, and it'll be entertaining. <laughs> you don't even need to go to two hundred thousand. Mean, isn't it an inverted world where people pay two hundred thousand to hear garbage, but if you've got some really good stuff to tell you that's life changing, you get nothing. Like what? The, the world we live in is just mad. But it sounds like you and I have got a lot in common then, because I've been called conspiratorial this last year i was um referred to the gmc for being conspiratorial and anti-vaxxer and you know transphobic and god knows what else you know geez louise and it's just like i also think it's crab mentality you know they don't like what i'm doing i've fallen out 
with my profession and everything. I don't know if you know, I'm not practicing anymore. I'm not, I'm not happy saying I'm an ex-orthopedic surgeon. I can't work out of any hospital. Financially ruined. So here I am doing podcasts. If someone said to me last year, you're, you're... you know, you'll be a professional podcaster in a year's time, I would have laughed. I would have pissed my pants, seriously. <laughs> Who knows where we'll be in a year's time? You're, you're, a, tr you're a true... You're a true uh, dissident. And by the way, I haven't had time to check it out, but I saw you were a guest recently on TNT Radio, and then you were also on Ryan Christian's uh, Last American uh, Vagabond, and he's been on my podcast, and I've been, um, um, I, I've been, I've chatted with him as well. So yeah, really cool. Yeah, Ryan. Ryan, if if I had a twin, I think he'd be called Ryan Christian. <laughs> we we share a lot in common. You both you both have the hair. You yeah, both have I know. The hair. Right. Um, <laughs> No, it's really funny. So, like, I, I have got hair, right? Sometimes in some places too much. If I was to grow out my hair, I would look like Gollum here, and I would look like, um, you know, Gandalf down here. So imagine, like, a mix between Gandalf and Gollum. That would be me. So you know what? I'm just clean-shaven. <laughs> it, it, it could work in some instances, hey? <laughs> no. Right, listen. So listen, can you define for me what is geopolitics? And for my listeners, I mean, I know why it's important. Like, you know, yes, it's a Doc Malik Honest Health podcast, but when it comes to health, everything is related and relevant and important. You know, education affects your health. Economics affects your health. Not just things like exercise and food and diet, but, you know, policies made by people in power will affect our health. And... um I, you know, I could give more examples, but I want to hear from you. What can you define? What is geopolitics and why does it matter to, for example, our health? Well, just on that second note, first, it's, it's, it's as you say, because we've gotten to a point, you know, my podcast is called Geopolitics and Empire. So it's basically, well, I'll get to the definition in a moment, geopolitics and empire for me is like globalism, world empire, globalism, because that's where we're headed. Uh, we, we've reached a point in history through technology and the monopolization of um, finance that, um, you know, we're, we're now, we're already in basically a world empire, which has never been seen before in, in human history. And when you talk about geopolitics and health, this power structure, this deep state, this global, global deep state, you know, Eisenhower in his farewell speech used the term military industrial complex. Um, in fact, in, in the original draft, it was a much, uh, much longer term that was whittled down to those three. But it's, it's you know, it's more uh, something to the tune of military, industrial, congressional, um, you know, uh, pharmaceutical mm. complex. And, you know, he used the term scientific <clears throat> dictatorship. And so what we're seeing, that, so why it's relevant to health is because we've got a combine, a global combine now that's integrated military, pharmaceutical industria industrial um cultural you know we talked about hollywood earlier they've controlled that uh as well and so that's why it's important and geopolitics for me is more like it's the science um the science of politics let's say geopolitics so when you study geopolitics you are that takes into account um you have to look at everything so you know politics is one thing but when you're talking about geopolitics it's like you have to analyze if you're you 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 analyze military situations, you can analyze cultural, economic, technological, and so you have to look at demographics. You have to look at territory. You have to look at finance. You have to look at deep politics, right? You have to look at um, so many of these different things, and then mm. put them all together, and then that kind of gives you uh, a picture of what's 
what's going on. So geopolitics is just like the lens to kind of figure out what's what's happening in the world. And then I just my you know empire for me is it's like the driving it's the end goal of what the um the the global parasites uh the powers that wish they were would um would like they want world government everything that they're doing just the end goal is world government global global government global governance as they say world empire it's because if they can get that then they can have their way with us then they control everything and then they can they can do lockdowns again they can do climate lockdowns they can mm -hmm.